Good. I'd like to turn to Mark chapter 12. Uh, we're starting a series today which will last up until uh, Christmas kind of takes over, which is about two weeks from now, apparently. <laughs> Have you been to John Lewis? It's, yes. It has, Christmas has taken over, and yes, you can get your chocolate advent calendars in Asda. Other supermarkets are available. Uh, so until Christmas takes over, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be a church? This church, City Church, what, what is that about? What are we supposed to do? We've become one church now along with uh, Bridge in the city. So Bridge is now City Church, Bradley Stoke, and we're City Church Cottom. And what are we supposed to do? Nobody knows. Good. Well, that's good that you're here this morning. Uh, so rather than coming up with a nice slogan or a, you know, a one-liner that's nice punchy, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at God's Word and see what God instructs us to do as His people. And it's important that we do that. Uh, we're not free. Do you know that? We're not just free to make it up as we go along in terms of church. We need to go back to His Word and find out what, what, is, what did Jesus intend when the church got started? What was the idea that and He set His Spirit onto those early disciples in Pentecost? What was the idea in terms of what they would do and how it would be? Uh, so we need to look at some things that Jesus said and things that he did, and we're going to start that this morning. So welcome to City Church, that's what this uh, series is called, and we're going to start in, start in Mark chapter 12. I'm going to read a few verses uh, starting at verse 29, and what we're doing here is we're jumping into the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with some uh, scribes and Pharisees, and often the Pharisees were the ones who were trying to catch him out trying to make him look foolish, trying to find holes in his argument or to humiliate him. They didn't like the attention that Jesus got wherever he went. They were quite uh, jealous of it. And so frequently they would ask him questions that were designed to make him look a bit foolish. Uh, and what we're doing is we're jumping into the middle of that conversation. Just to also say that this particular question that Jesus is asked, and the question is this, what's the greatest commandment, would also have been kind of an opener for a discussion that would have been had with other teachers as well. So you know that sometimes you're in a lecture or you're in a, some sort of seminar and you get a chance to ask a question. A question gets asked that kind of opens the place up to all sorts of other discussions. That's what this question was also designed to do. So someone asked Jesus, which is the most important commandment? And Jesus replied this in verse 29 of Mark 13. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And he's quoting there from Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, they were about to enter the promised land. Do you remember last year, those of you that were with us last year, uh, we looked at Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and heading towards the promised land, the promise of a land of their own. And here in Deuteronomy, the people are about to enter this land now. They've, got, they've done all their years in the desert. They're about to enter the promise. They're about to receive a, a physical country of their own. And so what they do is they go back to all the things that God has said to them to remind themselves of who they are. And this, these verses, or this verse, the first one at least, comes up in the midst of that remembering. It was love God, love Him first. He's to be first in your affections. 
And for us too, we need to be a church which is about God. It's easy for a church to be about anything else than God. And it's easy, even, and I did some of that outreach last week, it's easy to talk about anything else other than Jesus. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that with your friends at university? That to, to, to name Jesus in front of people, to say, oh, I love Jesus. Whoa, to say I love, or I go to church, that's a bit easier, isn't it? Or to say, oh, you know, I'm a bit religious. Or maybe to say, well, I'm not religious, I'm a Christian, and then people wonder what on earth you're talking about. Those things are much easier than saying, I love him. I love him. And here in the instructions of Jesus himself, he's saying, love God first. Put him first in your affections. And he gives a few instructions about how that might happen. First thing to say is this, you belong to God. Now, you might not be a Christian here this morning thinking, what the heck? You be- yeah, but you belong to God. You belong to him. And certainly in terms of what the Bible says, the Bible asserts that you are his. And it says it in Psalm 100. It says this, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We all come from somewhere, and the Bible says we were made by God, that we were created in his image. And however that came about, it was God's power that meant that you were here this morning. And so you belong to him. And that might, you might find that tough, and you might want to talk to someone afterwards about that. But you belong to God, says the Bible. And as creator and sustainer of all things, he is worthy of our worship. And many of our songs focus our attention on that. Many of the things that we sing together in worship remind us of who he is and who we are, and therefore a relationship to him uh, in regards to those two truths, that he is great and we're not, but he has loved us anyway. And isn't that wonderful that we needed help and he came and rescued us. And that's a wonderful thing to do and to worship. It can seem obvious, but it is worth saying because it's so easy to put other things at the heart of maybe who a church is or maybe who you are. It's very easy to do that. Everyone worships something. We all do. We're worshippers. Just look around you. Look at your friends and family. Maybe look into your own life and realize that you are focusing on some things. And there are some things that have high value to you. And actually, you give time and money and energy, worship, to those things. And sometimes we look to those things to save us as well. Many people do that. And so they will give themselves maybe to an individual, maybe to an idea, maybe to a job. Maybe it's, maybe it's to be popular. Maybe it's to be liked. Maybe it's to be clever. Maybe it's to be qualified. You can utterly give yourselves in worship to that thing, and that becomes a God for you. It's very easy to do that. We all do that. And God's saying, that none of that's going to work. You will be disappointed. You will be let down by all of those things. There's only one who is worthy of, your, of worship, of your worship, and that's God, the Creator, who we know through Jesus Christ. What are you looking for for salvation? What are you worshipping? And when we read a verse like this, you can think, well, hang on a minute. That's, isn't that just really difficult to do? To love God with all my might, with all my mind and strength and soul, with all my heart? That's, that's, that is a very difficult thing to do. And we might wonder whether it's even possible. And part of the reason that Jesus would have answered the uh, Pharisees like that, because it wasn't possible. The Pharisees were all about the doing. They were all about the externals, all about what you had to do to make God happy. 
And they didn't understand that, it was, that God was already happy. And so you had to do things somehow to make God happy. And religion is exactly like that. All religions ultimately like this. Do these things, somehow you will appease an angry God and your life will be better. Somehow you'll achieve salvation. All religion is like that. Christianity is not like that at all. It's completely the other way around. That's where it stands out. It stands alone amongst the world religions in this, that we might look at that kind of, that verse and think, how could I ever do that? And actually what we get in its place, rather than, a, well, you just try a bit harder and somehow you'll do it, in its place we find what? We find Jesus. We find that he did something first. He gave himself for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst you had no inclination towards God at all, he died for you. He came for you. He came and found you. If you are a believer this morning, he came and found you. I always say of myself that he left, he left no rock unturned to come and find me. And there I was under, under some stone somewhere. And he came and he sought me out and found me. And he drew me into his family. And I'm so very grateful. You see, but if we're going to do this verse that we've read in Mark's gospel, and you can read it in Matthew and Luke's gospel as well, if we're going to do this, or have any chance of doing it, we have to get the motivation right, if we're going to have any chance of it. And the motivation is this, and it is always this, it's the grace of God freely given. Until you get that, don't for goodness sake attempt anything like this verse, you will fail miserably. Until you've grasped the grace of God and all its glory and all its wonder, please don't attempt anything like this. It will be so far beyond you that it will be frightening. The grace of God, the love of God given freely to you. I wonder if you've seen, as I have, I'm sure you have, the terrible atrocities that seem to be happening with increasing frequency. The most recent, I suppose, is the one in the States and as we look on in horror and, and uh, just feel so deeply for those affected, there are moments, actually, where you think, wow, I've seen something of heroism here, something uh, that just stands out. And I was watching one of the many news clips in the last couple of weeks and just saw a couple of ladies who were in the Texas shooting, and they said, someone that we don't know grabbed us and threw us to the ground and just covered us as the bullets rained down. And they didn't know who he was and they couldn't find him. But there's something of the gospel, that he has surrounded you with his love. And as the sin that wants to have you is raining down around you, it wants to consume and destroy you, he is covering you entirely with his love. And you see something of gospel in the midst of this horror, something of God's love in the midst of these atrocities. It's just not possible to do anything like these verses, and you shouldn't try, as I've said, until you've glimpsed and understood something of God's amazing grace. I said this to the church that I led in Honiton for many times, and I'll say it to you. If you just had an opportunity to study one thing about God for the rest of your life, and that was all you could do, if you could just pick one thing, the grace of God is what you should pick. You should pick it and understand it. And if you think, I don't really get this, then we'll talk about loving God with your mind, but pursue it with all that you have. J.I. Packer, who's a a very famous Bible teacher, uh, said this. He said, the grace of God, it was the grace of God that unlocks the New Testament. If you don't understand his grace, the New Testament is just, well, it won't make any sense at all. 
You've got to grasp the fact that you are loved and it's nothing to do with you. It's all to do with him. That he has set his love upon you. That he's forgiven you or he's willing to forgive you if you're not yet saved for all that you have done and for all that you will do. One of uh, Bristol's great heroes knew this. Uh, George Muller, who opened many orphanages here, and you can still go and see those buildings, and the George Muller Foundation still exists. He said this, listen carefully to this. The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Let me read that to you again. The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. He knew that if he was going to achieve anything for God, if it wasn't just going to be some uh, kind of incredible effort on his part that really was soulless, he needed to achieve in his heart the grace of God every day. He needed to know it's God's love. He needed to appreciate it and revel in it day by day. To be daily reminded that you have Christ's righteousness given to you. That you might, you might be here this morning thinking, oh, I don't feel very righteous. And we've been singing songs about how great God is. I don't even know if I'm worthy to be here. No, you're not. But he loves you anyway. Amen. He loves you anyway. I'm, neither am I. I. I'm not worthy. Not even close. But he has put his goodness, his righteousness. He's clothed me in it. He's removed my sin. He's taken it away. Because I'm smart and clever. No, but because he loved me. Because he loved me. It's, it's wonderful. It's totally disarming. It could make you quite angry. But hang on, I try really hard. Doesn't that count for anything? I'm afraid it doesn't. <laughs> Paul said that your good works, the best that you could achieve, he said it's filthy rags compared to what? Compared to the grace of God poured out for you. There, right there, that's the motive. Right there is what needs to fill your heart. If you don't have it, I'll pray for you afterwards that God would reveal himself to you in a way that maybe you've never known before. But that's the motive. One John, in 1 John, it's, uh, it says this. We love because he first loved us. That's always the way around. Anything that you do for God, anything that you do for him must come from an understanding that he first loved you. It was his initiative. You didn't think it up. You weren't smart and therefore went and found him. He came for you. That's how it always works. We better get back to our verse. Back to our verse in Mark 12. The most important commandment, Jesus says, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And we're going to look at each of those in turn. But before we do, let's just say this about splitting these things down into their kind of individual uh, uh, headings, is that in, in Hebrew thought, as opposed to the way we would think, uh, well, let's just start with the way we think, generally speaking, in our culture. We learn about things by breaking them down, don't we? Take things to bits to learn about them. If you've got a child, and a, particularly a boy, give them a screwdriver, leave them in the garage for half an hour, and you'll find out that that's absolutely how we find out about things. They take things to bits. And so if you're an engineer or something, you'll know we break it down, we break it down to learn about it. Well, it's not like that all around the world. In many cultures and in the Hebrew culture, it would have been true that to learn about things, we gather them up. We try and get more of things in the room rather than less. We gather things together. So if you've ever been in a board meeting or a staff meeting or something, it's usually the loudest voice that wins the day, isn't it? Have you noticed that in our culture? 
the, the, the person with the loudest voice or the most persuasive argument as an individual kind of carries the room. It's not like that everywhere. There are many places where you really do have to reach a consensus. And I've been in, uh, in tribes, particularly in, in Zambia, where and if, they don't, if they can't agree, they don't do anything. And that's, that can be quite frustrating. But there is a way of, of looking at the world which is different from ours. So just to break this into its individual moments here, heart, soul, mind, and strength might be slightly counter to those who first heard this. So what we'll do is a little bit of both, a bit of breaking it down and a bit of pulling it together. What does it mean to love God with all of these things? What, what, would it, what does it look like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because we want to be a church that's obedient to this. We want to love God, and we want to do it the way that God tells us to do it. We want to take these instructions carefully and seriously. So how? How is it done? Well, let's just have a few uh, look at this and have a few thoughts about each of these. So firstly, with all of our hearts, what does it mean to love God with all your heart? Our culture is obsessed with the heart. Turn the radio on. It's all about the heart, song after song, saying, follow your heart. The heart wants what it wants. Or, you know, all these kind of things. Just do whatever your heart tells you. Follow your heart. You endless songs about giving your heart away. But what do those things really mean? Well, what the writers of those songs really mean is that they're trying to get to the essence, to the, the nub, the kind of the, the very center of a person. And saying it's so important, it's such of such high value that it's about the heart. And that was what it means for us. We might understand it a bit more cerebrally like this, that the heart would be the seat of our emotions. Where, where the driving force comes from for us to actually do or achieve anything. What we give ourselves to. And I want my heart set on him. And the verse directs us to do that and it also wants to be set on what he has set his heart on what's important to him is important to me let me try and explain something of this when I met Cheryl Cheryl was my wife sitting in the front here um, very quickly she had my heart very quickly we were at university together in Brighton I think we were in our second year maybe to end of our first year second year and I was like oh I'm transfixed she's got my heart and what does that mean when someone has your heart. Well, for, this, for me, it meant this. It meant I knew where she was in the buildings around the, the Brighton. I, I know I'm here in this whatever number room this is. I know that she's like 40 paces away in another. I, I just knew. Why? Because she's got my heart. It's not a problem. It's not, it wasn't like a mental. It wasn't, well, I, I better do this because I'm in love with her now. It was just automatic. Why? Because she has my heart. It meant I knew where to find her. I knew where she'd be. I knew if I got there at this point, I knew that, you know, maybe before we were going out, that would be more the point. If, if I get there ahead of time, I know that she'll be there. I was interested in what she was interested in. Why? Because it was, you know, was it calculated? No. She had my heart. Of course I was interested in what she was interested in because I'd given my heart to her because I loved her. Um, time with her was and is, it was a great joy, my greatest joy. It wasn't a, well, okay, I suppose we well, better put the hours in. It wasn't like that. Why? Because she had my heart. Listening to her was blissful because she had my heart. The things that she was interested in, I was interested in, the things she was passionate about, I found suddenly I'm passionate about too. Why? Because she has my heart. 
Jesus said, love God with all your heart. That's what it's like. It's like that, isn't it? Wherever, where can I find him? Where is he? I know where he can be found. Now, of course, he's with us all the time, but we know that the gathering of God's people is a special moment. God inhabits the praises of his people where two or three are gathered. There I am in the midst of them. It means those sort of things. It means I'm interested in what he's interested in. Not just this is my thing, but what is his thing? What is it? What's his mission? What's he doing? And I'll give myself wholeheartedly to doing that. Why? Because he has my heart. I've given it to him. I've committed to loving him like that. Committed to doing what God has said, to knowing what God has said, to fill my mind and my life, my days with him. To love him is to love what he loves and to fill our hearts with what fills his. And brothers and sisters, that means people who are not yet in the room. Do you know that? That's his mission. God so loved the world that he gave, but it wasn't that God so loved the church that he gave. It wasn't that God so loved all the saved people already or all the people that were already following him. No, God so loved them, all of them that are yet here, not yet here. He loved them. And what did he do? He gave himself for them, heart and soul, body, everything he had. Death was no barrier. He just went straight through it. Why? Because he loved them. That's his mission. That's what he's doing. And if we're to give ourselves to him heart and soul, that's what that means for us too, that we would be that kind of people. We would be that kind of church, determined that his will would be done, determined to fulfill God's mission in the earth. Secondly, it says that we would love him with all our soul. And uh, we might think, well, what is a soul? Well, C.S. Lewis said this about the soul. He says this, you don't have a soul, says C.S. Lewis, you are a soul. You have a body. I'll say that again. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. The Bible teaches that you will live forever. Not with this physical body, but actually that your soul will live forever. And so that is who you are, the very essence, the very seat of who you are. And who you are and who I am is to be directed towards God in love. Let's look at that in uh, in slightly different terms. You see, it's very easy to have Christianity as an add-on. Uh, an add-on. You see, well, I, you know, I love chocolate. I do love chocolate, I'm afraid. It may be evident. I love sunny beaches. And I've got, like, fishing and Formula One and things. Oh, and, oh I love God as well. You see what I mean? I, I can just add it on to all the other things. And so th- these, my affections go here and here and here, and, and there's a bit for God here. And what God says is, No, it's all that I am. This is of a different order to all those other things. Those things need to take a back seat. They need to be pushed off the shelf or removed from our affections in the the way that we would love him because it's to love him with our soul, with the very essence of who I am. So, so you slice, wherever you slice, you know, like you slice up an onion or you particularly slice up a piece of rock and all the way through, whatever's written through the rock, you find it at every slice. Every slice, that's to be like that with us. Every slice you find, well, wherever you look, you find a love for God evidenced in there. One of the part of the wedding vows is this. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. All that I am, I'm giving to God. All that I am. Not just a bit of it. Not, not well, you know, I've done, we've negotiated a settlement. 
God says he'll provide me salvation and I'll clean my act up a bit and somehow we'll come to an arrangement. No, all that I am. Because he gave all that he is to me first. That's the measure. That's how we know how to go about it. If you spend any amount of time with a person, the first thing people tell you you'll notice is all their problems. Have you noticed that? The first thing that people tell you is all the things that are wrong. Uh, But if you spend enough time with someone, they'll start to tell you the things that they're passionate about, the things that inhabit their soul. And do you know why? Because it leaks out. You can't help it. And you've noticed that about people, I'm sure, that you spend time with them and you realize, wow, this person, they just love this thing. And they're passionate for that uh, because it's what inhabits their soul. And that's to be the way with God's people, to be the way with God's church. That when people come to church gatherings, to gatherings a bit like this and others like it, that our deep passion and ultimate commitment to God is evidenced. There's evidence of it. It's not like, well, I wonder, wonder who these people like. You know, what's their thing? No, it's evidenced everywhere. Things like, well, we'll come on to next week about loving others, uh, but that will be part of the evidence that we love God, that we love other people. And uh, actually it said, see, how will they know that you are my disciples? Well, it's because you love each other. That will be the evidence. That will be what you can see. You can't see someone's soul, but you can see the outflow. You can see the evidence of that in people's actions and behaviors. Thirdly, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind. We are a cerebral culture. We spend a lot of time inside our own heads. That's sometimes a good thing and sometimes not such a good thing. But we do. And if we were to look at the collective mental capacity and power just in this room, it would be utterly breathtaking. Most of you make a living or are planning to make a living by what you have got inside your head. Either your creative ability or your ability to retain and reproduce knowledge. That's how it works, mostly in our culture. I did it in the other meeting this morning. I said, who, makes, who does something physical and makes something and sells it? One or two people do, but most people, it's, it's about here, what's inside of our heads. And that's part of being a service culture, I suppose. But that's also true for many of us. And the verse that Jesus refers to says this, love God with your mind. Love him with your mind. Dedicate your minds to knowing him. Use that phenomenal mental capacity. You're better trained. You have access to more information. You are better qualified than any generation probably that's ever been. You really are. Now use that. Jesus is saying use it to love God. Use it to know him to know about him, but more than know just about him, to know him. Use your mind to think clearly and truly about him. There's so much nonsense out there about who God is and about how we should live. And where would we start if we were going to try and dedicate ourselves to thinking truly and clearly about him? We'll start with God's word and maybe finish with it as well. Maybe put all the paperbacks to one side and just devote yourself for a while for a period I'm just going to read his word that's that's what I'm going to do I'm not going to read the latest paperback from who knows where about Christianity I'm going to just read his word why because I want to love him with my mind and his word is for me it's to me it's a living word the paperbacks are not living the bible is alive active powerful that's why when we do these outreach we often include include verses in the, the bit, things we give away, because this is powerful. 
just a verse can change someone's life. Why? Because it's God's voice. It's God's word. It really is. But more than that, let's not be satisfied with merely an intellectual awareness of his attributes. Let's use our mind to apply those things into our emotional life as well. We can speak to ourselves. David did that. He said that King David in the Old Testament wrote most of the Psalms, a great king in Israel. He said this, rejoice in the Lord, O my soul. He was speaking. He knew the truth about God. And he knew there was a disconnect between what he knew to be true in his mind and his experience. And so he spoke to himself. And he said, rejoice in the Lord. Come on. Rejoice. And sometimes I need to do that. I need to do that. Sometimes it's a fight of faith, isn't it? And our minds are a place to battle. A a great friend of mine said this, 95% of spiritual warfare happens in the mind. Most of it is about how you think about God and yourself. And we need to get that right because we need to get into God's Word to find out what is and isn't true. Let's be a church that thinks. That's my simple appeal. Please be a church that thinks. God is a God of your mind. We're not asking you to leave your brain in a bucket at the door and then come and worship a God that you can't see. We're saying there's, there's mental work to do to love God. And please apply yourselves, your considerable mental capacity to love him. If we would be a church that would garrison our collective mental capacity and use it to serve Bristol and love God, maybe the other way around, love God and serve Bristol, there is nothing we couldn't do. I'm absolutely convinced of that. There's nothing we couldn't do with God's strength. And then finally in the list is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your strength. And on the surface of it, we might think, well, that's the easiest one. It's just you asking me to dig a hole or paint a wall. So that's easy, or lift something. That's by strength, isn't it? Well, actually, that's not quite what the writer means. That's not quite what the verse is talking about. But listen carefully. This is really what it means. It says, uh, it says with all your strength, but it means this. Love God with whatever you have at your disposal. What do you have at your disposal? What have you got to hand? What is it about you that maybe is unique? And then use that to love God. So imagine that you're in, the, you're kind of in the barracks ready for battle and you're looking around the armory and you're deciding what should we take with us into battle? What have I got at my disposal to go and fight the enemy? Well, it's a bit like that in this verse. With all of your strength, what is it that you have? And it's different for, for all of us. Some of you might have boundless energy. Use that to love God. Use it to bless God's people. Some of you will have phenomenal skills. You'll be skilled in terms of, uh, you, you might be a doctor, or you might be a nurse, or you, uh, you might be a very skilled mom, or you could be uh, uh, any number of things. You have acquired, as someone once said in the film, a special set of skills. And now use those to love him and to follow and pursue him. Maybe it's experience. Maybe you've got experience in following God. Maybe you think, well, I haven't got much energy left, but I do know what it means to follow Jesus. Well, use that. Use that to love him and bless others. Maybe you're very wealthy. Maybe that's what you've got at your disposal. Use it to serve him. Use that money to serve God. Maybe it is physical strength. And then you need to get on a a serving team and pick chairs up and all that sort of stuff. Maybe that's what you have. Whatever you have, use it to serve him. I read a list that someone else had made, and they included things like this. 
pets. You can. I've got a friend who says walking his dog every day is the most evangelistic thing he does because everyone stops and talks to you. Use it to serve and love God. What about your dorm room? What about your smartphones and computers? These things are powerful things that you have at your fingertips. Are you using them to love God? Are you pursuing him with those things? That's what this verse is asking of us. And then someone might say, well, hang on. This is a bit fanatical. This is a bit over the top. This isn't very moderate, is it, or measured. It just, it seems a bit, you're just getting a bit over the top here. Come on. Well, let me read you what Jesus said in Matthew 16 when he was instructing his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. He's asking us to lose ourselves in pursuit of him. That's what Christianity is. It's laying down your life for him like he laid down his life for you. There is a version of Christianity that we could subscribe to which doesn't cost us very much. It's consumer, a consumer version where you can come and get your dose of Christianity and feel good about the world again and off you go and isn't that nice? I'm done for the day, I'm done for the week. Listen, that type of Christianity has utterly failed. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for those engaged in it. It doesn't work to rescue a city. It doesn't work to change nations. It didn't work in the New Testament. It didn't work for Jesus. It didn't work for the disciples. It won't work for you. Christianity without sacrifice is not Christianity. It's not. Jesus said, where is someone going carrying a cross? They go to their own death. That's the only place they're going, just like Jesus did. And he's saying, give it up. Give up that fight for significance, that fight for meaning, because it's all found in Jesus. It's all found in him. If we live like that, we can change a city. If we'll be a church like that, we can affect nations. We can. It's been done over thousands of years. It works. But yes, it is very costly. In fact, it will cost you everything. But let's be a church that accepts the challenge and rises to love God in that way. Should we stand together?